we can both agree the sport of weightlifting is more of the long game. Who's going to stay in the sport the longest with the least amount of injuries to increase that strength, mobility, positioning, timing, things like that. That takes time, but that's not going to happen if you're burning yourself out left and right over not even a medal. This is where you're meant to be. Like, I know it. I've never My best self is better than every single person who's going to walk on that platform that night. Gosh, man, that was... It's a moment to change my life, man. Work harder than everyone else and just keep going. Get up and do it again and again and again. The journey to a better you starts right now. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Better Than Yesterday podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Kelly. On today's show, I am joined by Casey Storley. She is a returning guest of the podcast back on episode 144. We dove into Casey's story, how she got involved in nutrition coaching. On this one, we are just diving straight into it. We're talking all about weight cutting in the sport of weightlifting specifically. So all your questions are answered. How far out from a meet should you be cutting? How much weight should you be cutting? when you should actually not cut and go up a weight class. All of those are going to be answered on today's show and more. Hope you guys take a lot away from this one and let's send it over there now. I don't want to miss anything else. Um, I hate having a structure for the podcast, but I think this one is definitely one that <laughs> I don't want to say I want to take it seriously because I take them all seriously. But um you know, I, I feel like with the the meets, especially one as big as this one, the Arnold, there's 1,900 people competing. I feel like there's so many misconceptions out there on weight classes. And even just seeing some of my teammates, me included, like I made a ton of mistakes. And, and like we were talking about, making mistakes at meets is, is good. It's an experience. But I think if you can actually fluctuate weight and do it the right way it can be a big competitive advantage and if you don't do it properly it's really going to hinder your performance yeah it can be detrimental 100 no i totally agree i think yeah i think there's a, a huge misconception when it comes to weightlifting right um like usually the first thing that people think about is just dropping a weight class to be more competitive and it's like yes to a certain point um, but there's a lot of people that could benefit from just trying to go up a weight class. So like finding out <clears throat> what that is, that's hard. That's a hard, hard question to ask. Um, and having somebody in your corner to be very objective with that can definitely help. Um, I think my philosophy in terms of coaching our weight class athletes, it comes from what I wish I got when I was, a, when I was lifting, right. I had nutrition coaches in my corner, but there's a lot of things that like, did not go well. And so I've always wanted to be that coach that I wish I had. Um, so that way people don't burn themselves out or put themselves in a position where they get injured or just spinning their wheels. There's nothing worse in my opinion, in my experience, spinning your wheels, putting all this time, effort, sometimes tears, a lot of times money into something only to be stuck where you're at. And it can be as simple as somebody being in your corner, providing perspective as to what's going to be best for your performance, which I don't think enough nutrition coaches actually do. And I think that's definitely an area where we can get better at. For sure. And one of the great things I saw, I was looking at the meets that you competed in. So you've competed in four different weight classes in the last three years. So 
so you do have experience fluctuating weight. So I mean, to tell somebody, this is how you're going to feel if you go down a weight class or up a weight class. If you don't actually know what it feels like, how's somebody going to trust you? Yeah. Yeah. And, and not only knows how it feels like to be successful, but also to fail completely. Um, I think a lot of times learning what not to do can be just as valuable or even more valuable than learning what to do. Um, I think some of the most effective coaches out there are the ones that struggled, the ones that screwed up a lot, the ones that made all the mistakes and then some kind of like me. And so they're, they're not coming from a standpoint of like, just do it because it worked for me. It's like, you can't necessarily reach an athlete or, um, or a client in general, if you just think that what worked for you worked for other people, I think it's the same standpoint of like a professional athlete or a fitness professional or something like that. That's just genetically gifted. And they're like, well, it worked for me. So I'm just going to teach other people. And it's like, that's not how that works at all. <laughs> so falling flat on your face and failing a lot. That's, I think that is definitely comes in as an advantage as a coach later on. So what's okay. So somebody comes to you and says, you know, I want to compete at this weight class. What's that conversation look like just initially? Hey, I want to compete at this weight class and say they want to lose weight. They want to gain weight. But what, what does it look like when you get started? Yeah. So the first thing is actually an interview to see if they're even a good fit. Um, just because we have a certain philosophy and how we do it. Right. And it, it, generally comes down to have you earned the right to diet right and in this context because the word diet can be kind of triggering for some people we're just looking at from the 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 typical definition of a structured way of eating right whether it's fat loss or muscle gaining or performance uh, making weight whatever it is it's a structured way of eating and so with our clients it doesn't matter if we're working with professional athletes or um, jenny down the block with three kids like it's understood if you want to diet a structured way of eating, you have to earn that right. It's not just given. I think that's a huge step that people um, miss, right? And so when I'm talking to an athlete, it's more of a conversation, right? It's asking questions about like, what's your previous experience? Um, what are you doing right now? Um, are you able to have the skills and the tools that you need to do that in terms of lifestyle, being able to track, being able to execute that? Um, and then also like previous experiences, I've worked with a lot of athletes that come to me and they ask to make weight, but I've seen a lot of disordered eating patterns or maybe um, their biofeedback is just shit. Maybe their gut health, hormonal health, metabolic health is just crap. And, and I kind of get an idea off of that conversation, which is some questions I ask them. And then from there, um, I give them a viewpoint of like, yeah, dude, I don't, I don't think I can help you. Uh, or like, actually my favorite point is like, Hey, you know what? I don't think it's smart for you to make weight this meet, but what if we do this map out and then make weight the next meet, but actually help you perform better rather than putting yourself in a position where we were just talking about earlier, like burning out, getting injured, decreasing muscle mass, just because cutting too much can do that too, or just put yourself in a position of spinning your wheels. Um, I actually literally had a conversation with a gentleman this last week. He's like, he had a chance to step on the national platform in metal in masters. He called, he's like, it's only in five weeks. Can we do this? And I'm like, 
no, I'm not going to help you do that. Sorry, but let's do this instead. Let's plan out next year. Let's get you in a position where you feel better. You're like, you're, you have better tools, better skills. You're actually progressing in the gym. Um, and he's also a business owner. He's also a new father. Like I was like you doing this drastic cut, that's going to leave you in a position where you're not going to be a good father, a good business owner. You're not going to feel great at all. You're going to be burned out. And I'm going to be leaving you worse off than when you started with me. And like the number one rule as a nutrition coach is like, do no harm. Right. And so that's something that I truly believe in. And if that means I have to say no to somebody and they go to somebody else, I'm going to do that. But that's okay with me because I believe in what we do. I believe that we make a huge difference in terms of athletes' performance. And we have a great track record with our athletes. I've never had anybody miss weight. And a lot of times when people perform with us, they PR in some manner. Like everybody that performed at Arnold's, every single one of them PR'd in some manner. Some of them are national competitive athletes for over seven years. They've never had that good of a performance ever. I only had three months with them, right? Imagine what happened a year or two. So I explained that to him. He's like, fuck it, I'm down. I don't care. <laughs> and so like we're mapping out next year so he can medal, but it's going to do it in a manner that's going to be fit his lifestyle. So it's like, there's no one right way to do it. It's more about being a coach and listening and asking the right questions and making sure that not only physically, but mentally they're in a good place to go through that. And if that's going to not only help them at that meet, but long-term, like what's their short-term plans, what's their long-term plans and does that goal typically align. Right. And I think that's something that like is missed as nutrition coaches. We're very much like, Oh, you're going to a goal. I'll just give you macros and you're going down. But like, they don't pay you to be a glorified macro coach. They pay you to be a human being, a coach and, and help them not only make weight, but ultimately help them with their performance overall. And sometimes that means saying no. Sometimes that means like, sorry, dude, you're not, you're not cutting. Like, one of our um, one of our athletes has been with us for a long period. She actually just did a podcast with you, Jordan. Yeah, I remember us talking. Um, she goes between seventy one and seventy six, which I think is pretty advantageous for a weight class athlete. Is going between two weight classes, and um, she made weight for a meet. Fantastic. She had a chance to like she was kind of in between a like if she wanted to do seventy one or seventy six um, for the next meet, and I was like, you're doing a seventy six. You're not cutting twice in a row, right? Like I was like, let's look at the game plan of this whole year that we just mapped out. Like you have this big meet six months from now, you just cut now. I was like, I want you to get back, build a lot of muscle, get yourself back to a groove. Let's not burn out. Let's decrease injury. She was dealing with some injuries. I was like, let's set you up for success six months from now. Cause this meet in between doesn't really matter as much as the six months. I don't think there's enough co coaches that like not only look at that meat, but look at the long-term, right. Map everything out. So, um, again, it's like, it's not a cookie cutter program. It's literally just being a human being and, and trying to make the best, um, objective decision for that athlete long-term. Um, but also let that athlete have a, a viewpoint on it too. Um, for example, we have, I literally, <laughs> got off the phone with his coach today. And then he texted me later. He's an athlete that I, I I've been working with him for uh, some time. He's also a friend 
and he knows my rule. <laughs> you don't come to me last minute to make weight. Most of the majority of the work happens like two to three months before, not like the last couple of weeks, but he could be a metal contender. And um, I already know him and I already know like his ability to execute. I can trust him to do what I tell him to do when I need him to do it. And he's like, can I, can I do it? And I'm like, you understand the sacrifices. You understand what might potentially happen. Are you on the same page? And he's like, hundred percent. I'm like, okay, great. We're, if we're on the same page, you know, what's at risk, you know, what, what might happen, but you're willing to take that risk. Okay, cool. Um, so it's a very long winded answer to that question. I hope that helped. No, no, I love that. And you know, you can bring the coach's perspective and the athlete as well, but I'm just on the athlete side and mm -hmm. I think we always have kind of this irrational mindset that we can just lose weight and do well. And, you know, I don't care who you are. If you step on the national platform, you want to perform well. You you care about your total. You have to, to get out, to get out on a stage in a singlet and lift in front of three judges and a bunch of people. You have to care about how you're doing. And it, it doesn't matter if you're a metal contender. It doesn't matter if you're in the G session, but you want your total to go up and a lot of people think the way that they can be more competitive is just by dropping down so i think you know just having that having somebody in your corner to say hey why like just asking that question why and you have to sit with yourself and say hey why do i want to be this certain weight class is it because i'm going to finish in 36th place or am i going to finish in 48th place you know and if you have to answer that and can be objective with yourself, totally changes the ball game. And you can, you know, you can take care of your health along the way. It doesn't have to be this huge sacrifice for essentially something that doesn't really matter in the long term. A hundred percent. Oh no, I agree. And it's also like, do you even want to do that? Do you even want to deal with that stress? Especially if you're like not even going to be fighting for a medal. It's like, why don't you just eat the food and feel great and feel less stressed? Like making weight is so stressful. And then you put it on top of stepping on the platform and doing your max lifts in front of sometimes hundreds of people, at least three people right in your face, staring at you. Like that's a lot of stress right there. And then you add on trying to make weight a couple hours before it's like, dude, why? Like, what's the whole point? Go in, enjoy it. Step on a scale with your freaking sandwich in your mouth and rock it. That's, I think that is hands down to be a way better experience. And then also you're going to be just be so much more consistent with the sport in the long run. Um, you're not going to burn yourself out. I think that a common mistake that we see a lot of athletes do is like they come into the sport and they give it their all like hundred percent, which is great, but they have struggle with like creating balance, whether it's making weight, tracking too much macros, like creating this all or nothing thinking, and they burn themselves out like a, like that. And they don't even have a chance to perform really well. And we can both agree the sport of weightlifting is more of the long game. Who's going to stay in the sport the longest with the least amount of injuries to increase that strength, mobility, positioning, timing, things like that, that takes time, but that's not going to happen if you're burning yourself out left and right over not even a medal like that's not worth it 100 percent. so you say that clients aren't allowed to or athletes aren't allowed to come to you last minute to make weight when does this conversation take place how long out if you're say you're going to cut a couple kilos how 
how far out is that conversation and when does that process start? That's a good question. It just depends on the person. If I've never worked with them before, then I prefer um, three to six months out. Um, like I said before, majority of the work actually happens three to six months before, um, especially if I have a client come to me that hasn't gone through a recovery season in a very long time or doesn't even know what that is. Maybe they have a poor relationship with food. Maybe they've been cutting too much. Um, maybe they have poor metabolic health, hormonal health, gut health. Like you got to be a healthy human being first, both mentally and physically, before you can start focusing on being a performance athlete. Again, going back to earn the right to diet. You have to have a really good foundation before we start building up. So um, with that being said, if I've been working with an athlete for a long period of time and I know how their body works, I know how their mindset works and I can trust them to execute things, it just depends. It just depends on who that person is and where they're at in their dieting phases, like their periodized phases. Um, and also it just depends on if they've been cutting too much too, a lot of times they're like, I want to make weight five weeks from now. I'm like, nah, bro, you just, you just made weight two months ago. Go relax, go crush a hamburger or something like that. You don't need to be cutting right now. Let's, let's be real. It's the same thing as like new weightlifters. They do their first meet and they're like, I want to do another one next month. And it's like, no, dude, like you need to go through another periodized phase before we do that. So again, it just entirely depends on the person. Um, and also I need to know how their body reacts to the changes that I make where I'm very much data-driven um, when it comes to athletes. So if you take a look at our athlete Excel sheet, like we have this whole Excel sheet that tracks everything. And then I keep each one for each meet. And I also know like how much their, um, how much weight they drop during deload week. Um, what does their body, um, change to a certain like manipulations that we make? It just depends on the person and how well their body adapts to things or does not adapt, I guess you would say. So that way we can make those changes. Yeah. And I mean, I just want people to remember that like three to six months, a lot of times, two weeks out, three weeks out, people are like, Oh, got to start dropping weight. And yeah, and, no, how many times I turn people down. They're like two weeks before I'm like, no, nah, bro, you're waiting too long, but there's so many coaches out there that are willing to take it. Mm -hmm. They're like, Oh, let's just do this water cut. And it's like, you're doing a water cut. That's supposed to be for a 24 hour weigh in. You only got two hours. You can't be doing a water cut like that. Like, um, it's more of a money grab than anything. And it's very frustrating. Yeah. And even, I guess we'll get, we'll get into it a little bit later, but the weigh-ins, I mean, sometimes you're weighing in an hour and 20 minutes before you compete. If your name doesn't get called for a while. so Yeah, sometimes less, dude. Yeah, so you think you have that rehydration process, and it's not what you think. You're not going to be able to sit there two hours and, you know, one hour, 59 minutes out and be eating a cheeseburger and drinking your element. It just it doesn't work like that. And sometimes people might miss weight the first time and then you got to wait until you get called again. So you're out there running in the parking lot or doing something crazy. It's not the best. I hope, you're running in the parking lot. <laughs> I hope that's not happening. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, no, you're 100 percent right. Like you never know what might happen. Uh, the Arnold's was a perfect example. The scales were completely messed up. Luckily, we had zero problem with our own athletes. I mean, uh, like we obsessed over that, trying to like sneak people in to see what the weight scales were and comparing it to the check scale. Uh, I, I like some of them were like almost crying and I had to like calm them down and be like, it's going to be fine. Like, it's just so crazy. So, so many people during the Arnold's like had to come back because the weight scales were just so inaccurate. Like, 
I remember a gentleman was like, uh, came out and he's like, this scale says I'm 2.5 kilos over. I weighed on this blue scale and I was 0.5 kilos over last night. I haven't eaten anything. I've gone to the bathroom and I've been spitting this whole time. That is impossible. Right. So, so many people had experienced that. Like they had to come back and they had to, and you never know, like, especially with those big meats, you might be coming back and you only have 30 minutes until you can weigh in until you have to start. And that's, again, that's not enough time to recover at all. For sure. And I understand a lot of the answers to these questions are going to be, it depends. It's a case by case basis always, but okay. So let's say three, three, four months out, what's the first thing that you're looking at? Is it carbs? Is it fat? Is it protein? calories like what's the first thing that really starts getting manipulated um the first thing that's getting manipulated is not carbs it's not fats it's not calories um it is actually um like what's going to help decrease inflammation what's going to help increase metabolic health what's going to help you recover faster so again that's going to help with inflammation if anybody's having any gut issues like bloating that's the first thing that i'm going to address um, you can easily, if you have somebody in an extreme stress state, you can easily drop quite a bit of weight just by addressing that. And my philosophy is, is that your job is to one, create as least amount of change as possible. And two, those changes need to be geared to as much as you can to helping them perform better. So if there's a way that you can change something that's actually going to increase their performance and their recovery while dropping them down, you're going to address that first. Um, so that's the first thing that I do is just an assessment in terms of lifestyle habits, assessment into their metabolic health, gut health, hormonal health. We keep track of the biofeedback, making sure that they're in a really good place, um, like physically and also mentally, because that can affect things. Um, making sure that they're in a place of like, what's their stress management protocol? That's going to help out a lot. Um, and then from there, it goes into... Like we have a specific pre intro and post-workout nutrition protocol for our athletes. And a lot of times be simply just because they're recovering better, um, their body feels less stressed, like I said before, and then they drop down. So that's going to be our next thing that we, we address. Yeah. Jo Jordan said, uh, on the podcast this week, she said she eats candy during her workout. So I'm like, I got to eat candy. <laughs> I, I would definitely protocol for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I went so long because I'm like, I can't eat candy. I, I cannot rationalize it. I can eat a banana. I can eat an apple. And then I'm like, you know what? The Swedish fish, it tastes good. It's quick. Same. Your body's looking at it as the same way. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and from Jordan, she's in a really good standpoint. Like when she first started with me, she was doing a really popular app that a lot of prospectors and weightlifters do. And her metabolic health was just shit like it was she was at 1800 calories which for her how active she is her size and the amount of muscle mass she has she has a lot and then also like how much she trains like that is not enough like she's maintaining weight at that that's like oh that's not good so we've got her in a much better standpoint physically um so that way her body can enjoy those foods and it doesn't have a negative impact on it versus somebody that's at a really stressed state maybe they have some, um, a lot of inflammation, I probably would suggest a little less candy and a little bit more nutrient dense foods. Cause your body is just like, it just needs to recover. But like, once you get to your standpoint in terms of being much healthier then your body can handle those things and we can start having a little bit more fun. But like at that point, I work with a lot of athletes. I'm like right now, like, I know we need to create balance, but we need to view your food as medicine rather than 
rather than uh, fuel right now um, in terms of performance. We got to take more of a health protocol and then get back to fueling when we get closer to a meet. Mm, so that's interesting. I like that. Yeah, it's kind of like whatever. I mean, yeah, everything's individualized. It has to be. And we all know what app you're talking about. We do. <laughs> it's funny. I hear a lot of people, oh, like, no fat, not a lot of calories. And you don't have to call them out, but it has. And that's just what sucks is because, like, you need fat. You do. Like, if you're afraid to eat a whole avocado because you just don't have enough fat, that's a problem right? Like, again, it's taking, a, it's looking at the macro view and the, like the micro view and the macro view, right? When you do a cookie cutter program that brings you down to such low fat, such low calories, and, and it doesn't allow you flexibility, adaptability um, with your lifestyle. It just, it burns you out physically. Um, just your body needs fats hormonally, period. And, and we just talked about, you have to be a healthy human being to be a healthy athlete. So if you're chronically eating low fat, that's a problem. <laughs> you're not going to perform really well on that. Um, and from there, it's like that app was extremely aesthetically driven, right? Yes, there is some protocols to help with performance, but ultimately that app is to help you cut weight drastically. And a lot of times it's not sustainable either because it's, it's or no, the, those results are not sustained simply because it is not sustainable, right? A lot of people don't think that they can do this for a lifelong. Um, there's nobody in their corner making sure that they're making objective decisions in terms of recovery and when they should be making weight. And it's just, it's very much driven of, let's just get you a really good before and after picture, not necessarily looking at the big picture of like, like what I was talking about before, like the main goal of me coaching is to help people make like, help people perform at their best because like when I went through it, I like, I had that app. I, uh, well, at that time it was a template. I I've worked with other nutrition coaches where, I mean, they were decent. Like they were great. They helped me. But when I was at my worst, which like, for those of you that are listening right now, um, my experience, I've been in four different weight classes and I was also a 59. I had no business being a 59. I was blinded by ambition. I just wanted, I was one of those people that thought if I just weighed less, I would just be more competitive. I could get more medals. And again, some of the best lessons learned are when you screw up. And I had nutrition coaches in my corner that whole time. Nobody asked me, Hey, how are you doing? Hey, do you have a libido? Hey, um, is there any red flags, um, that you see? Oh, you're losing hair. Uh, maybe we shouldn't be cutting nobody asked me that question. All they're like, Hey, did you lose weight this week? Hey, did you lose weight this week? No, I'll address your macros. Like there's no human being. I just felt like another number, just another before and after picture. And that's not coaching. That's just glorified macro coaching. And to my opinion, that's not nutrition coaching. So I'm always going to be that person that's going to be in their corner asking those questions and, and, and like asking the hard questions that most coaches are afraid to ask just because that's what people need. They need a human being. They need somebody that has emotional intelligence that can actually step up like their own barbell coaches do and ask questions <laughs> like, how are you mentally, physically? Like, is this a good idea? And it doesn't happen enough. Um, you can see, I get worked up about that, but I, I just, I know there are good nutrition coaches out there. They're just not enough. A hundred percent. They're just not enough, especially in the weightlifting realm. So all that being said, 
you have an athlete who has a healthy relationship with food, their energy is good, they're productive outside of lifting because we know that for 99.9% of us, this is not a full-time job. You're able to handle everything outside of the gym. Do you like... Do you want to be training above your weight class? That's something that I think a lot of people get tripped up on because you see the the elite of the elite are always cutting weight. They're always weighing 73.00 or or you know 66.99. You don't see anybody who's in between weight classes. And that it, of course that's the caveat there are people that do that, but very rarely. But for us who are middle of the pack who enjoy this, want to do well, should you be training above your weight class? Does it really matter? How do you feel about that? I'm going to get frustrating for a lot of people listening. It, it, it depends. I do encourage for most people to be above their weight class if they can. Now, there are some people, um, for example, I have one athlete that she was a 64. We both agreed she needs to be a 71. Um, but like, I'm not going to jump her from like, she sits around like 65, 66 kilos to 71. That's just a dirty bulk, right? Like, so she's going to be in the middle of the pack, but we're going to slowly over a period of time, do it correctly, increase her muscle mass. So that way she can start filling up that weight class as much as possible. But if you're somebody that is like cutting down, um, and like in your mind, you have to be at 58 or 59 if you're in the 59 weight class. Again, I just had a call with a, a brand new athlete that's signing up. She'd always tried to be right at like 58 or 59. And I was like, no, you're going to be way more resilient to your training. Um, if you eat more and sit a little bit above, not a ton for 59, I think about a kilo maybe a half a kilo to a kilo above your weight class is pretty good. If we have a larger weight class, maybe a kilo and a half to two kilos and also depends on their metabolic health. Um, that's a whole nother story, but um, being a little bit above and doing very simple protocols. Like if somebody comes to me a kilo above two days out, um, I can help them make weight easy. And it's not really that stressful. Um, if you have a really good nutrition coach, they know how to do that really well. Like a kilo above is not hard especially if you're, you're in a little bit of a bigger weight classes, like 64 plus, that's not hard. Right. And so, um, I think it just the standpoint of like, are you doing it correctly where it's not that hard to make weight? Um, and then also like you have to take it in, in the standpoint of their lifestyle too. If I have somebody like me, who's like, I kind of lift things, but right now my main priority is coaching. Right. I'm going to, I don't, I don't want to cut weight. Like, I don't even want to think about it. I would rather take that hit of being a little bit lighter because that's not my first goal. But if your first goal is to perform well, it's kind of like, okay, cool. Let's be a little bit above, do some really simple shit to get you down a kilo. That's not going to stress you out at all. Anything make you feel better. And then from there we can make weight. Right. Like that's what I would say. I think one of the best um, advice when I was going through that is, when I worked with, uh, worked out at Elite Athletics, Alex Lee is like, no, dude, you should be a kilo to a, like a kilo to two kilos above your weight class. Like you should be heavy lifting, cut down. Um, because again, like if you cut down and you pop back up after rehydration and, and, and refueling weight moves, weight, you don't get any extra brownie points sitting around your weight. So if you can pop up like a kilo to a kilo and a half, you're going to be able to lift heavier weights. It's the same protocol as like MMA fighters or something like that. Like they want to do a drastic water cut because they have 24 hours to get back up. 
right? And if they weigh heavier, their punches are going to be harder, right? And they're also going to pack a little bit more um, like power behind those, those kicks or anything like that. They don't get brownie points for walking around at that. So it's, it's kind of the balance of who that person is, where they're in their phase and how their body reacts. But I would highly suggest like, if you can be a little bit heavier, hundred percent, that's going to help you be more resilient. You're going to be able to eat more food. You're going to pop back up and weight lose weight. Just make sure that you're not doing like five kilos or like, depending on your weight class, like it should be no more than like 2%. 2%. Okay. I would say 2%. Yeah. I like that. And I, Jim from Philly barbell told me, um, he said 3% was where you can, you're not going to lose strength. But one thing that I learned from, from cutting, I probably cut less than 3%, but one of the things that I didn't know, and looking back on it, it's so stupid. I didn't know that weighing two kilos less, I was going to feel different. Yeah. Yeah. And like your leveraging, is going to be different as well. Um, like that's one thing that I learned is as I got smaller in weight classes, I had to learn how to lift differently. I had to learn how to handle those loads. Again, weight moves weight. So you just move differently as you get smaller. So that's a whole nother learning curve too. So you have to take that in consideration. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I mean, we always, it's so funny. Like you have to kind of go through these things yourself to realize how looking back on it, how stupid it was, but I'm like, Oh yeah, I can weigh two kilos less than I've weighed in the past three years, and I'm gonna lift the same amount of weight. <laughs> I wish it did. Yeah, I know. Me too. So me too. Okay, so so we're hanging out two percent. We're a little bit above our weight class. We're feeling good. A month out, maybe you know we're getting to that two weeks. What's are we starting to manipulate carbs, water? Like what's what's that look like? Okay, so. Honestly, I probably wouldn't start that until about a week and a half to a week out, depending on where they're at and how their body reacts. So like, mind you, um, like I work with an athlete that's a freak of freaking nature and his body just doesn't make sense. Sometimes he can drop weight like that. Like it's, it's just the slightest change, not even changing his calories or anything like that. He can drop two kilos like that just because his body just changes so well versus there's some people that are, uh, have a little bit more stubborn bodies or just a little bit stressed. So it's going to be a little bit harder. So that's the first thing that you need to consider is like, where are they at? Are they extremely healthy? Does their body change very fast or are they extremely stressed? They're in a need of a postseason. Um, or a recovery season, but we're still going for it. So that's going to be uh, something to consider. And then from there, that two weeks before is more about um, understanding like uh, how to prepare for traveling. Like we sit our athletes through everything because I think that's one big, huge mistake that athletes make is like, they think either, um, I don't have to make weight or I'm traveling. It's not that big of a deal. They underestimate the impact that it has on their performance. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes is that they like eat whatever they want and they eat out and they change about a bunch of things like two weeks out. It's all about risk mitigation, AKA not fuck shit up. Like you need to make sure that everything's in point. So we walk our athletes through that. So they don't self-sabotage. And then from there, we do a practice um, meet day protocol. We sit down and we come up with this whole protocol. What do you eat um, like that morning if you're not making weight? Or what will you do um, when, it term- when, uh, when it comes time to weighing in? What's the protocol? And what are you going to be eating 
after weigh-ins, what are you going to be eating as a snack? What are you going to be doing for fueling? So they practice that. They can trial and error and be like, oh, no, I felt really great on this. I performed really well. Or they're like, no, I don't work. And we like sit down and make some adjustments. Um, and then from there, about a week and a half out, that's when we start tracking, uh, getting some data, seeing how much weight they're losing overnight. Um, how are they feeling? Um, we're paying attention in terms of their stress management protocol, making sure that we don't need to add anything or take things away to make sure that like, again, when your body is stressed, it doesn't want to lose weight. It doesn't want to drop water weight. It, it will be inflamed. So if we can take away some of that stress, so let's think of it as like a bank account, right? Like you you want a healthy bank account because when you make weight, that's kind of like taking money out of that bank account. So if we can put as much like uh, as much as you can within that bank account through a stress management protocol, quality of food, getting more sleep, things like that. When it comes time to take some stuff out of your bank account, if you've added enough, you're still going to have a healthy amount. But if you have been taking out, out a lot leading in and then you take some out to make weight, you're going to be rocking the uh, debt really fast. And you're like, why am I not lifting? And it's like, hmm, I wonder why. So we try to add as much as we can into that bank account leading in um, and definitely making sure that we're optimizing the last two weeks. And then from there, um, once we get into that point, I sit down with them about a week out in a call, and then I give them a very general game plan. This is all within an Excel sheet of like what they're going to be doing. And I usually leave the last two or three days blank because I'm like, you're texting me every single day. And sometimes I'm going to make some adjustments right off the bat, and I am going to help create as much awareness of the different op options that we might be taking so you have the tools and the skills to do that. But just be prepared. I might text you and we might have to change everything simply because how your body reacts to things. And so they create that clear expectations. They make sure they have this whole grocery list, packing list. They have everything that they need. Plus I'm there, majority of the time I'm there, especially if there's national meets with a sauna, um, if that's something that we need in, in a bunch of other tools to help our athletes make weight. And then I walk them through that. Um, typically it's going to be how I prioritize things is going to be like, how can we reduce bloating and inflammation? Then it's going to be food volume manipulation. Um, sometimes it's going to be macro manipulation, but I'd rather do a slight water before macro because um, glycogen synthesis takes about 24 hours um, and water can be replenished within a couple of hours. So it's about kind of looking at the game plan and triaging things. What is going to be the best decision at that moment for that athlete? Um, and then we also talk about, we, I think that's another thing that we have to talk about is like, what does the athlete respond well to? Um, I've worked with athletes that have had horrible experiences in terms of making weight with past nutrition coaches or their own barbell coaches. And um, some of them have, um, I would say almost PTSD when it comes to the sauna. And we were just talking about how reducing stress is probably the best thing for them, especially if they're going to be going on the platform. They're, they're fried from being so stressed out from the protocol that you're doing. You're not helping the athlete. So then it goes back to triaging it. Like what's the best, like best outcome for that athlete. And sometimes that means changing things up. So I think definitely the athlete, their past experience, what they have access to, um, their perspective. Like for me, for example, I would much rather do all the, all the work last minute. The idea of tracking everything just from my over obsessive um, relationship with food and having to heal that, that would cause me a lot of mental stress. 
So I like to do things last minute and that's what works best for me, both mentally and physically, right? Versus um, another athlete would probably do more macro manipulation and all that stuff leading in and very little sauna because they had really bad experience with sauna, the least amount of time in there, the better. Um, so again, that's definitely something that you have to take into uh, consideration too. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, that getting in the sauna, manipulating water, manipulating basically anything is pulling from that bank account. So if you got to sit in there for two hours, you're going to feel the effects of that, regardless of if you make weight or not. And I know you said you haven't had any, had anybody miss weight. Do you, do you work with anybody who's miss weight in the past and like had, had a really bad, I know you said there's a lot of people who have really bad experiences trying to do that. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why people sign up is because like you talk to any one of our athletes or like, it's 10 times easier it's 10 times more effective, like than what they've experienced in the past. I think most people come from the perspective of, I just don't need to be eating anything or very low calories, no carbs, anything like that, or they need to be in the sauna for hours. Majority of my athletes don't even cut calories. They barely do any macro manipulation. And they, if I like at Arnold's, we had like six athletes I had to make weight. I was the only one that went in the sauna because that's my personal preference. I would rather do sauna than like other other tactics because that's what works for me mentally right i was the only person that's on it out of all six of them right and so again the goal is to do as least amount of change as possible um but i think that the first thing that people think is like i just not, can't eat the day before and i have to just sit in the sauna all for a few hours i'm like no oh, dude <laughs> it doesn't have to be that way at all <laughs> I think another misconception people make is that, you know, if you're if you're trying to be in a certain weight class, say you're 71, you, it's not good to weigh in at 67 because you didn't eat all day. Or uh, I think that's a thing that happens a lot of times. Like you want to be as close as you possibly can. The longer that you hold on to that 70.7, 70.8 is going to be way different when you get on the platform than weighing 69 and being like, oh, I wasn't stressed about it, but I didn't eat. Yeah. Like, again, it's your goal is to make the least amount of changes possible. Like, I know back in the day, it's like the person that weighed the less with the least within that weight class that did provide some advantage, but now there's no advantage. You don't get brownie points for weighing less. So as a nutrition coach, like I actually play a game of like, how close can I get to weighing in? Now my athletes would much rather be way lower because then they're like, Oh my gosh, I don't have to worry. But like, I'm like, no, it's okay. Trust the process. Like we're going to be fine. You're going to be able to recover way better if we're as close as possible. Um, so yeah, like, again, if you're taking a ton of calories away, if you're depleting yourself a lot in terms of hydration, like you're not going to perform well. Like you, again, you don't get brownie points for depleting yourself more than you need to, you should make the least amount of change as possible. So that should be like, if you're weighing as 71, if you weigh in at 70.9 or 71, thumbs up to that. That's what you want. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk after you weigh in, what's that mm-hmm. protocol look like? Cause a lot of people think, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to eat right away. I'm going to feel good. I'm going to feel good. Yeah. I'm going to replenish. I'm going to drink you know, you can drink sodium, electrolytes, all that stuff, Pedialyte. You don't have that much time. So what does that post weigh-in process look like? 
Yeah. So it just depends on the athlete and where they're at. So like, um, majority of the time it goes straight for hydration. Cause again, glycogen synthesis takes about 24 hours. So if you did it correctly, should have eaten adequate amount of carbohydrates the day before. That's one of the reasons why I don't, I'm not a huge fan of macro manipulation for two hour weigh-in. Um, I'll do the least amount of changes possible with that. I have done it, but it's always in the viewpoint of what's the least amount of change. How, how many ca- carbs can I get them to eat um, the day before while still making weight? And then from there, um, because of that, you already have a good storage of glycogen in your system, right? So the next proto- like the next priority is going to get you rehydrated. Um, and then, so that will go from getting a very, very salty drink with a bunch of electrolytes in it. Um, I'm a huge fan of like, I personally, I, I only like to talk about what I personally use or what my clients have personally used. Um, I know there's a ton out there, but I used uh, the Pedialyte New Sport one, very salty, rehydrated the crap out of me. It was great. It worked wonderful and it's got a little carbohydrates in there too. So that's great. Um, I used that and I felt great after, after rehydrating and I saunaed. It wasn't like a huge one, but it was, it was definitely one that I had to make sure that I was rehydrated and worked great. And then from there, um, I would say eat, but wait a little bit, because if you drink water and eat at the same time, that can actually cause cause some um, digestive issues and make you feel really uncomfortable. The last thing you want to do is do clean your jerks, feeling like you're going to throw up. That's not fun. I've done that before. It's not fun. So you want to make sure that you hydrate, then wait a little bit and then eat. Um, And that eating is more of the same point of keeping your blood sugar level through the whole thing. Um, so you want to get like something that's going to be easily digested, nothing that's going to be too voluminous. That's going to make you feel like you're going to throw up because you have to understand like your body is at such a stress state right then and there, like your cortisol, your adrenaline, like your stomach gets a little bit more sensitive at this time. So you want to make sure that you're sticking to foods that are like extremely digestible. You feel great with those uh, foods. It doesn't upset your stomach. You also want to make sure that you're getting a little bit of sodium in that too. So I, suggest like a really good go-to is like lunch meat, a lot of sodium in that easily digested. Um, and then from there, you do want to try to get a little bit of fats, a little bit of carbohydrates, um, a mixture of like carbs and maybe a little bit more complex carbs as well. Again, because your goal is to keep your blood sugar nice and nice and even while keeping your stomach a okay and not feeling like you're going to throw up. I promise I wouldn't ask any questions about myself, but my last three meets I've done, I've either weighed in like my time or their time was like 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 6 p.m. So what do you think about, like, how do, you, how do you manage that for people who have to weigh in later in the day? Yeah, so later weigh-ins actually, especially if you're making weight, tend to be a little bit harder. Um, and this goes in the standpoint of, of the coach needs to do, the nutrition coach needs to do, really do a great job of not doing things too early. I think that's another huge mistake that people do is that they make changes too early. They manipulate the sodium or they manipulate the water or they take away calories too early. Again, you don't get brownie points for starting earlier than you need to. Your goal is to make the least amount of changes possible. So you want to wait until the last minute. So if I have an athlete that's doing that, Um, I won't have them start making any water changes or anything like that until the day of like a sauna, if that's something that they'll do. Um, and then from there, what we do is we weigh them, right? We weigh them. We see where they're at. We keep track of how much weight they're losing throughout the day, because 
typically, especially if you're just sticking with like lower volume foods, you should weigh, lose weight as you go, especially if you're like walking. I would never suggest anybody to do cardio. I've never had any of my athletes do cardio in order to make work, uh, weight, like running around, going to do that shit. Like there's much better ways to do that in my opinion. So, um, like we typically just keep track of that over a period of time. We actually weigh the physical food and the water. Cause at that point, it's not really necessarily about the macros per se. It's more about the volume of the food and how that's going to help you perform. So we stick to lower volume of food, make sure that that's not putting them in a point where they might weigh over. And then at the very, very last minute, if we need to do some type of sauna, we'll do that. Cause the least amount of time that you can be dehydrated is going to be best. Um, so if I have an athlete weighing in at the, like later in the day, um, I typically am like, you weigh yourself in the morning, text me, text me at this time. And then at the last minute, we make a decision of like, do you need to get to me in sauna? Typically I like to provide structure of like this time we're making the decision of whether or not you're coming to me and we're saunaing, or you're going to the, uh, like you're going home and you're just like relaxing and you're just breathing and you're just in your own zone. Um, so that's, that's how I would handle it is like, is just pay attention to that. And then at the very, very last minute, that's when you make the changes. How, I mean, you're working with people for a while. So I know you kind of build up that trust where, Hey, this is going to work, but how do you get people to not stress out about this? Because you know, (laughs) you're, you're weighing in a couple times a day, you're texting you making sure, Hey, I'm eating this it's a really stressful process. So how do you minimize the stress and how do you get people to, to, I mean, you're not going to lose weight if you're stressed. So it, you're in a very hard position. Yeah. Um, a hundred percent. I think it's, uh, going back to emotional intelligence. I think that, um, the trait of a really good coach isn't necessarily how many certifications that they have or how smart they are. It's their ability to connect with their clients and, and, bringing them on a journey and hundred percent trust you as a coach. And that, that needs to be earned. And that's one of the reasons why I like to have about three months because that rapport is not going to happen within a month or two, two weeks. Like that needs to be earned. Just like I expect them to earn the right to diet. I need to earn their trust. And, and, and um, so that that's where that comes from. And then um, also educating them. Okay. This is what we're doing. This is why. Right. And sometimes there are points where I'm like, Hey, like, I know I don't have enough time to explain to you why, because I'm trying to take care of 10 other clients. But by that point, I've already created that trust with them. So they're like, okay, I am hundred percent trust you. Now. Also, I also like to explain to my athletes. It's like the first meet is a trial, a trial and error. Like we're doing things that you've never done before, especially majority of the weightlifters. We do things a little bit differently. Right. And so they're like, oh my gosh, this is like everything I'm not, like I've been told not to do. Like um, one of my elite lifters, she, she's like a national champion for 25 and under. Um, she went through horrible sauna experiences, just horrible, very obsessive coaching. And like, she was definitely one of those people that I had to work really hard to earn her trust. And I remember her the day before, we hadn't changed a goddamn thing. Everything was fantastic. She was sitting about like, uh, like 0.75 kilos over and I didn't change a thing. And she, she texts me and she's like, I'm freaking out what's going on. And I was like, I, I know you're freaking out. Let's jump on a call. Let's talk. And I talked her through it. And even then she was really nervous, but 
she did fantastic. She made weight. She won nationals. Right. And it was completely different than what she experienced before. That's when she bought in. Right. And then the next meet after that, it's going to be even better. Next meet after that, it's going to even be even better because she knows what to expect and she knows to trust me. Right. Um, I think that a lot of times coaches come in, they're like, just do what I say, just because I say, and it's like, mm, you need to show that value. You need to show that you are trustworthy. So um, proof is in the pudding. Um, you need to show that you actually know what you're doing. And that means just like, like doing it with your own athletes and then also just letting them go through the process, letting them experience it and be like, okay, yeah. Okay. I trust you. Yeah. You need, you need to make those mistakes. Like you, you just, until you experience it, until you experience the worst day on the platform, until you experience feeling like absolute shit, you're not going to know. You're always going to think, oh, I can just, you know, like the, the one meet I did, I don't think I did anything, but I peed before I weighed in and I peed like 0.75 kilos and weighed 67 on the dot. And I'm like, I can do this every time. And th- it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. No. And like, that's another thing to consider is like the more you cut weight, the harder it gets, your body adapts. Mm. So you need to keep that in mind. And so that's something that I have to teach my athletes. It's like, just because it went like this one meet doesn't mean it's going to go like this, another meet. Right. And then, especially if you're working with female athletes, like you never know where they're going to be at there in their cycle or anything like that. Like, so it's getting this clear expectations of like, it's not going to be the same every single time. Sometimes it's going to be really hard. Sometimes it's not going to be really hard. So um, that's funny that you lost 0.75 just from peeing. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was pretty clutch. <laughs> Is there an amount of times, like, I know you said previously that you would tell people, hey, it's two months, not enough time. Is is there a set limit that you have how many times we can cut weight per year? Or is that all just how the athlete's schedule is? I mean, all these questions I'm asking, like, I want to know, like, the specific answer when I know there's, there's just not going to be one. Yeah. And that's the frustrating thing is like, with nutrition, it just depends on the person. I will give a generalized answer, though. Um, if they are extremely competitive, I'm willing to explore it. Right. So again, like that athletes, like I'm going to be, I'm going to fight for a national medal, like first place. I'm like, okay, let's talk about this. And I also understand that the athlete is very, very educated in the process, understands my protocols and I can trust them. That's something where I'm willing to consider versus somebody that's brand new. I don't know the person. I don't know if they have the skills or the tools that they need. I don't even know if they know what's going on. Right. It's like, you don't know what you don't know. A lot of people, a lot of athletes coming to me, they don't know their meta- uh, metabolic health is shit. They don't know that they're uh, like any other functional issues is going on just because they think it's normal. Again, our body adapts to things. It makes things seem normal. Very similar to like your foam rolling and all of a sudden you hit a knot and you're like, I didn't even know it was there. It was always there. It's just your brain adapted to it and no longer feel it. It's the same thing when it comes to like your your anything that happens with your body. And so, um, like it, that's why the interview process is very, very important to make sure that we do that. Cause again, we have an, a really great track record, but I think it's because we have clear expectations that things are earned. Um, I've, I've taken chances on athletes where I'm like, this isn't ideal, but you know what? Screw it. Let's go. I was about to drop the F bump. Um, let's go, let's do it. Like, for example, um, I have an athlete that signed up two months before um, Arnold's, 
Um, he's also a type one diabetic. So that was another thing that we had to take in consideration because you do definitely have to make sure that like blood sugar levels are trying to stay as even as possible through the whole process. Um, and a few other things you want to work on A1C. Um, and I just took a chance and it worked out great. It, but like, it was clear expectations of like, if I'm taking you on, I need to trust you. I need to know that you are going to follow through. And this is the expectations. This is what I need from you. Are we on the same page? Are we committing to this? Yes. Okay, cool. Right. It's, it's got to have a very honest and open conversation going into what I need as a coach, what an athlete um, is willing to do. And if that lines up, then, then we'll go forth with that. Perfect. I think, I think this was really good. I think we got rid of a lot of misconceptions. Um, I mean, I hope people listening took something away from it. When you when you're out on the platform, you can't expect that you're gonna just drop weight. It's not. It's gonna be easy, especially so many people just competed at their first national meet, and all those all those emotions, all the stress of traveling, getting there, the training hall. You have six platforms around you. Like, take that stuff into consideration. Yeah, dude. Like. Like we were talking about before, it's it's a long game. Who's going to stay in the sport the longest? And a lot of times that doesn't mean cutting weight. That means building up in a weight, building strength, especially as a newbie. All you need to be focusing on is just getting stronger. That's not going to come from cutting. That's going to burn you out and potentially put you at risk for injury. And, and you're not going to enjoy the sport anymore. And then all of a sudden, a couple of years later, you're out of it just because you burned yourself out. Just eat the food, get strong, fill up your weight class with really good weight, like optimize your body composition, improve your lifestyle habits, improve your relationship with food. Like I remember cutting so much and I burned myself out. I put myself to the point where I had like a breakdown and I had to call my coach. I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't lift a barbell. I can't do anything. I ended up taking a whole year off. And I just remember thinking, what if I had somebody in my corner to help me? I wouldn't have had to take a year off. I would have probably been way farther in my athletic career. I'd probably have way more memories that were positive. I'd probably um, wouldn't be dealing with uh, like disordered eating patterns and, and spending thousands of dollars to fix my hormonal woes from cutting too much. Like it's just not worth it in the long run for a lot of people. Like if you're Olympic hopeful, right? You're trying to fight for the Olympic team or something like that. I get it. You're going to risk that. 100%. Let's have that conversation. But if you're somebody that's just going to national meet and enjoying the process, want to be friends, like be around your friends and your community, it's, in my opinion, it's not worth it for most people. It's not. I, so I hope we just discourage a lot of people from cutting weight. Or at least be smarter with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, where can people go if they want to work with you for their next weight cut? Yeah, so you can... Um, get a hold of me on Instagram. Sometimes I check that, check that more than my text messages. So you can find me at, at thriving on in the letters K and a C. Um, you can also catch me on Facebook. We also have an Epic uh, Facebook group page where we do a bunch of live trainings about this kind of stuff um, for free. We also do a lot of giveaways. Um, I always say this, my love language is giving away things and I'm not over-exaggerating. We do giveaways all the time. So um, I will give you the link to that. So you guys are more than welcome to join. Um, and then email is probably going to be the best one. So it's going to be the letters K C at uh, thriving dash on.com. Um, you can email me there. Okay. So. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. This was really good.
Thank you for having me. I always enjoy talking to you. We always have so much fun. It's very organic. I love it.